eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It's your inside pass to everything Saints football. And the kick is good. We'll take you to places most fans never go. Will Lutz from 60. To practice, to the sideline, to the locker room. Following every twist, turn, and touchdown of the Saints season. That is going to be a touchdown. Taysom Hill. Taysom TD. Welcome to Inside Black and Gold. And that is going to be a touchdown again. And guess who? Mike Thomas. Now, here are your hosts, Steve Geller and Jeff Nowak. Oh, baby. Inside Black and Gold, we are Steve Geller, Jeff Nowak, coming to you with some post Sean Payton news. We are over. Thank God. Yeah, no kidding. It was. It, it kind of felt like it was carrying on forever and that there wasn't going to be any kind of hope at this resolving this season, and then whammo, we got hit by the the magic Denver Broncos, you know, chiming in. And it really seemed like last minute to swoop in and get Sean because everybody kept sing, saying the signals were going back to to Fox, and that's that was not good news for the Saints. Yeah, the 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 crazy part to me is how quickly the news like usually it'll kind of roll over a couple hours or maybe even a day of like oh okay they're agreeing to this and then the compensation will come out and blah 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 this was like but from the first tweet from like i think adam schefter tweeted about it first and then from that point it was like within 15 minutes it was not only was the deal agreed to we knew exactly what the draft compensation was going to be like it like Adam Schefter actually tweeted like, okay, this is there are two deals the Saints could potentially agree to. One is this, where they get a first round pick this year and this next year, blah, 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 or this. But like within 45 seconds, like I barely had time to quote tweet that with the, I would take this. Ian Rappaport was tweeting, okay, they've just accepted this and blah, 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 to the point that Adam deleted that tweet, which was accurate, I believe. Oh, wow. I didn't know he got rid of that. He just was like, this is going to be confusing to people because they've already accepted this deal. So yeah, it was a wild like, 25 minutes and this is the second consecutive year that major coaching news has broken during the second practice of the first day at the senior bowl last year it was the brian flores lawsuit against the dolphins which in the end was tangentially related to sean payton right because it ultimately that whole process kind of turned into 
oh, well, the Dolphins have turned out to be tampering with Sean Payton and Tom Brady and blah, 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 and they lost their pick. And this year, one year later, like 365 days to like 12 hours apart, this happened. Um, but yeah, it was kind of a crazy, crazy segment. So we're going to get into that. We're going to talk about, I, I want to kind of get into the idea of, did they get enough for Sean Payton? Because that's been the major question I've seen people asking is, why didn't they get more? Should they have held out? Blah, blah, blah. So we're going to get into that. In the second segment, we're going to get into kind of the major coaching changes that we've seen already most on the defensive side of the ball for the Saints, but they could be coming to the offensive side. I think the question of whether some of these coaches will be targets for Sean on his new staff in Denver, I think that's an interesting thing. So we're going to get into that. I was able to talk to Ronald Curry at the Senior Bowl. He interviewed with the Bucks while at the Senior Bowl. It's basically a big job fair, apparently. So we're getting to that. And then the final segment will be a mailbag. We're going to try to make this kind of a regular Thursday mailbag during the off season. So keep that in mind as you're trying to figure out what you're going to do on Thursday afternoons and evenings. You could hang out with us on YouTube. I don't know why you would, but okay, Steve, I know you have opinions here. So before we kind of go in, I guess we can lay out what they actually did get. So the Saints traded Sean Payton to the Denver Broncos. They got a first round draft pick, which is technically 30th, but it will be the 29th selection. Ironically, because the Dolphins do not have the 21st pick because they tampered with Sean Payton. So the Dolphins tampering with Sean Payton actually slightly improves the compensation the Saints got for trading Sean Payton. So that's kind of interesting. So they got that first round pick. It was the only real first round pick that I think was reasonable to expect in the 2023 draft. Even if you had waited out Arizona, I don't know whether that number three would have been on the table. I'd be very surprised if it was. And then Houston obviously went with D'Amico Ryan, so that wasn't there. The Panthers went with Frank Reich, so that wasn't there. Beyond that, the rest of the compensation is the Broncos are sending their 2024 second round pick to the Saints, and the Saints are sending back their 2024 third. So effectively what you did was turn your third round pick into a second round pick next season. And if you recall, the Saints don't have a second round pick next season because they traded that to the Eagles as part of the first round draft pick trade this past offseason. So now the Saints have a second, but do not have a third next year. So that's the compensation. So the question is, Steve, do you think the Saints got enough in this deal in trading Sean Payton? Uh, I like the deal, obviously, because it gets this, you know, situation handled this year. We don't have to carry it over into next season. I thought that what the Saints are getting in return for Sean, I'm fine. I just don't like what they're also sending back. I don't like the inclusion of the third rounder. Maybe that's me being a little bit greedy, I guess, but I thought the like a first and a first and a second is fair compensation, but it's it's tough when the market out there there's not real much of a market out there dictating there's no market. The Broncos are bidding against themselves. I guess you could say, well, you know, the, the Arizona Cardinals are still a potential suitor, but yeah, there it, it looks like the Colts have, they never even sniffed around Sean. Houston, yeah, we're expecting them to finally close their deal over there. And, you know, I just, I don't know if Sean wants to wait another year of missing out on that coaching money either, honestly, though. No, I don't think Sean wants to go back to Fox. But I do think that it, it at the end of the day, it didn't necessarily come down to whether Sean wanted to go to A or B. It was like, Sean, are you willing to go to Denver? Because it's not like the Arizona was on the table and he got to pick between them. 
like Arizona is slow playing their head coaching search and they're still interviewing candidates as far as I know. Like they were just setting up an interview with Mike Kafka, the Giants of offense coordinator earlier this week. So like they're not prepared to start offering candidates. So the question you could ask is why didn't the Saints kind of drag out this process a little longer to allow the Cardinals to potentially drive up that price? But here's the thing. Look at look at how the Broncos have operated throughout this entire head coaching search. They must know something. They have zeroed in on so many different candidates and been rebuffed, struck out, right? Jim Harbaugh was like, no, leave me alone. I'm going back to Michigan. Stop bothering me. <laughs> like D'Amico Ryan's like, they really want D'Amico. He's he wants he wants Houston. And I don't blame him. Like that 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 makes too much sense, right? And so uh Dan Quinn. They probably wanted Dan Quinn, but he went back to Dallas to be their defensive coordinator, which I think kind of tells you this was not as attractive of a job across the board as as some people might have thought it was. I think that Dan Quinn move that you just mentioned right there kind of sealed the deal on them returning their their whole focus, Denver's focus, back to Sean. I agree. Yeah. I, th- I thought Quinn was going to be a done deal there. I agree. Yeah, and, and, and so I think what happened with Denver is all of a sudden – Denver is like, well, we got to do something, right? We are in win-now mode. We can't just take the 17th best option on the board and then be able to justify the trade we made to bring in Russell Wilson, right? Like, you already did it with Nathaniel Hackett. You know, a guy that no one really believed was this, like, splash higher, and it didn't work out, right? And so if you go and you do that again... Then you're, then you're in real rough shape in terms of how you can operate going forward because you made a win-now trade and then you didn't make a win-now hire. And so they ended up in a situation where in order to save face, they had to just give in and make a trade that they probably didn't want to make. They didn't want to give up their first-round pick, but they knew that that was the only option, so they did it. And so if you're the Saints, all of a sudden you have a first-round pick. And I think whether there was this idea that Mickey Loomis wanted two first-round picks I think that's just what you say. That's where you start. That's the negotiating tactic is you come in higher and so you can settle for lower. And at the end of the day, getting a first round pick for a coach that is not going to coach your team (laughs) is a win, right? And so that's where you set the bar in my opinion is, okay, are we getting a first? Yes. How much can we get past that? And so based on the kind of offers that that they were considering, right, which would have been like, if Adam Schefter's report was accurate, it would have been a third this year and a first next year versus a first this year and a second next year where you send back your third. And so I think like, here, here's, a, here's, a, here's a theoretical, right? So obviously the first is there either way. Would you have preferred a third round pick coming to the Saints and not giving anything back or a second round pick where you send them your third? I would say the second round pick because that has a lot more value than the third, in my opinion, from a team that expects to be good, right? The Saints aren't going to go in the tank. So you're not expecting that to be a top third round pick, expecting it to be a mid or worse. So like, I think that that trade value is, is more significant than having no second and two thirds, personally. Yeah, I just don't know why the option for getting that second has to include that Saints third round pick. I thought the the Saints would be able to get a first and second at least for Sean without having to throw in any more sweeteners to the deal. But like I said, I, I understand. I'm thankful to, for the market for them to even close this right now. And I guess maybe that's that's part of it as well. There, there really was no 
There's no other team coming, even though that I forget who it was saying there was also some mystery franchise involved somewhere that could, you know, push the needle. Yeah, that was, was Diana Rossini. Yeah. That was just Sean, like, you know, agent pushing something. Well, and so, you know, the point I'm kind of getting at is so, like, how quickly this all came together. And there was reports that it was going on since Monday. Maybe it was, but again, that's just two days. That's not that long of a time. And I think if you're the Saints, you're aware that the Broncos are kind of tilting right now. Like, if you give them enough time to talk themselves out of it, this is probably a team and a, and a franchise that's going to do that based on what we have seen and how quickly they seem to change their mind, right? So if you're the Saints, I think there's incentive there to just say, okay, I think this is the best we're going to get. Let's move on. And so, like, for example, if, if this is how the process went, okay, first round pick, how about, a, how about a second? And they said, we'll give you a third. And the Saints said, how about you give us a second and we'll give you our third, <laughs> And they were like, yeah, we'll do that. And so at a certain point, the negotiation starts to go backwards and you start negotiating against yourself and you end up with a worse, you know, you, you start to, you start to make this kind of franchise who is already shown you that they are indecisive. Now they're taking a step back and they're like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. As a, like if you ever try to pull off a fantasy football trade, for example, <laughs> it's always just like, oh, is it balanced? Is it balanced? Is it even? And then all of a sudden you try to get too much and then it's like, yeah, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. And then they walk. It's, you're not getting it done. It's like sometimes you just have to hit the button and get it right. Sometimes you just have to get the deal and then you worry about it afterward. I think that's kind of where the Saints were. And so, you know, we talked to Jeff Ireland at the Senior Bowl yesterday and he didn't seem like he was like, yeah, we got extra draft at an extra draft asset. We get to bring in another high quality player. Like I I'm, I'm a scouting director. That's what I want. I want an extra first round pick uh, or I want, I want a first round pick period in this draft so that we can scout players in the first round and potentially get them. Right. And so from a saints perspective, I think they view it as a win and I, and I view it as a win, right? Because people can say, wow, they should have played hardball. They should have waited it out. Who knows what the coaching landscape is going to look like next year? Who knows what jobs are going to be available? You are an extra year removed from Sean coaching in the NFL. So who knows what that impacts? Like, sure, maybe the Chargers job is available and they're willing to just just bend over backwards to get it done. Maybe it's not. Maybe the Chargers take another step forward and end up in the AFC Championship and they're not moving on from their head coach, right? Maybe the Cowboys don't move on from Mike McCarthy. Maybe this is the best chance you're going to get to get a first-round pick back. You do not know. What if Sean now gets the Chargers head coach fired for, you know, like, causing them, you know, misery in the in, in their conference? Yeah. Well, at the, at the end of the day, my point is, the longer you wait, the higher the percentage chance is that you risk getting nothing, right? And if you are the Saints, it is it is your job to make sure that you are not only maximizing the value, but not losing the value in the process. And I think that's where you ended up. And the, there is also value baked in here of not having to talk about it anymore. Cheers to that, right. Of not having to spend an entire season listening to people speculating and asking you questions about what you're going to do with Sean Payton. It's like, no, okay, book closed. Let's move on. Huge, huge one right there. And especially for Dennis Allen too. Not to say that, you know, he's that shadow still not there of Sean, you want to say, f- f- uh, for there in that in that coaching realm. But for him, it's something that I feel like, give, give me some assets now, at, at least that I have for this year. Uh, that That's what I, th- I think he, he really needed out of this, especially after this, the team obviously gave up their first rounder last season. Uh, it's 
but to to get back into round one this year is huge because they 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 still have some ammunition too where they can make some moves and plays to go up or down in this draft. I know they they typically don't go down. Yeah, they now have seven picks, right? Um, they pick twenty nine, they pick forty, and they pick one twelve. And you know, having three picks in the top one fifteen, right? That's quality, and you can bring in quality players. Um, you also have an extra fifth round pick. You know that that high high value trade you made for the for CJ Gardner Johnson. Hey, but you know what? At least I, I I look at those late ones too with this team as a positive because they've done pretty decent with some of those mid round guys. I'm not saying you're sixth seventh rounders, but a fifth rounder, you know, some of those third round picks that this team has had in the past have really uh, panned out for them. Problem is, I have no faith that they keep them. Right? Like I, <laughs> I. I still feel like you're going to end up seeing them move up in the third round to try to get somebody. And I have two questions. And one of them is, are you going to go after a quarterback? Right. You know what? I, I, I wrote a post yesterday from the senior bowl and it's like your next starting quarterback is not on the field at this event. I think I can say that pretty definitively. Now there is a guy standing to the, on the sideline who might be your next starting quarterback in Hendon hooker. I'm not, I'm not sold on him. I know a lot of people are, I'm not sold on Hendon hooker. I need to see him work out. I'm not going to go based on what I saw at Tennessee. It was a gimmicky offense, and I know he's a spot thrower. It's it's an option-based wide receiver offense. I get it. But like this is all based around the idea that Pete Carmichael, is your, your offense is going to be that same Pete Carmichael scheme. And maybe it is this year, but who knows what it's going to be next year. So I don't, I don't know if, if you have that many questions about a guy at the top. I don't know if that's where you go, but you know, who knows? Uh, Kat Terrell put together this kind of simulation of like, you know, how the offseason might play out with all these free agents. And she tried desperately to get a quarterback. David Carr turned, or I'm sorry, Derek Carr turned her down. Wait, is it David? Derek? Derek Carr. Yeah. Derek Carr turned him down to be a free agent. You know, Jimmy Garoppolo ended up somewhere else. Like, like he couldn't do it. And, and, and in this simulation, she, we, the saints ended up with Andy Dalton again, because that was the best option. So if that's where you end up, if you are unable to swing a trade, I don't think that's a crazy simulation either. Yeah. If you're unable to swing a trade, if you can't do anything, but bring back Andy Dalton, then yeah. Okay, fine. I'll, I'll get on board with Hendon hooker. But until, until you get to that point, I'm still looking at a starting quarterback that you're bringing in ready to go, not a developmental guy in the draft. Um, and if and if you can go that route and suddenly at 29, you're able to shore up the interior line, right? At 40, you're able to bring in a running back, right? You're able to get a Tajay Spears, who I desperately want to speak into existence on the Saints. You know, that's what I would like to see. But we, there's a long way to go. And the fact is, I'm just glad that instead of talking about Sean Payton, we can now talk about mock drafts that are all going to be wrong. No kidding with that. I see that, you know, people start pumping them out now with the Saints having a first-round pick again. I'm sure we're going to all have to do that as well <laughs> kind of thing. But you know what? With with Hooker, uh, obviously the, the good part about the Senior Bowl access that the, the Saints have is so great that they, you know, we, we heard the coaches talk about the intimate setting that you have and that one-on-one -on -one time with the player is really mo the most important thing. And who knows, maybe... Yeah, Hooker's a guy that blows him away and, and you know, gets their curiosity as him as someone that can lead a franchise. I, I just don't know if he's there yet uh, either kind of thing. I would need to see, <laughs> obviously, more from the guy. But put up huge, impressive numbers this year, this past season with Tennessee before getting hurt. There's a number of things, too, that have to be cleared. Obviously, with medicals, we could talk about. But um, I don't think that Andy Dalton being the Saints starter week one 
is that much of a crazy thing, especially if you're if you're going to invest in a young quarterback this year, obviously. But if you mentioned like the other route, if you're going to go after a veteran that's maybe been in around the league, you might need to use that first round pick, right, to get someone like a Lamar. Yeah, and like even if they can't trade for Derek Carr, maybe they sign him. I don't know, but like what I don't want to see is Andy Dalton brought back and have him be the starter with no alternative. Like I was talking to Doug Mouton about this uh, from WWL TV and it's like, if, if they bring back Andy Dalton, I'm okay with it. As long as he is brought back as a bridge, right? Like I am more than fine with Andy Dalton being the bridge, but there has to be someone at the other end of the bridge, right? Like it can't just be like, okay, we're just going to spend another season trying to see if Andy Dalton can do enough, right? Like, that's not the future. And, you know, whether that's Hendon Hooker, whether that's somebody else, the problem is, the, the thing is, like, the guys on the field this week, and, like, the Saints did have great access, right? DJ Williams was the quarterback's coach. Ronald Curry was the offensive, was an offensive coordinator. But, like, these guys aren't your starting quarterbacks, right? Darren Hall, I was not impressed with. Jake Hayner, I was not particularly impressed with. Malik Cunningham, D- Max Duggan, right? The best thing I can say about Max Duggan is he nailed all of his handoffs in the nine on sevens, you know? Um, like, these are developmental at best. These are guys who their ceiling is backup quarterback, right? And if you are not drafting a quarterback in the first round, you're not trying to find your next starting quarterback. Fact. Like, it, they do not exist outside of the first round. Maybe the second round, but even those are rare, right? Like, Jalen Hurts, occasionally you'll find these guys. But, like, even those guys are rare. Like, outside of the second round, they, they basically don't exist, right? Like, in the last decade, which doesn't include Russell Wilson, the only starting quarterback, like, regular starting quarterback that was selected in the third round or later, Dak Prescott. Brock Purdy, you can you can claim, obviously. But, like, you know, it's a little soon to... to, to Go all in on him. And again, that's a situation where you are you have everything around you. It is a perfect situation. If you have a perfect quarterback situation, sure, you can go find a Brock Purdy and plug him in there and maybe he'll be successful. But in 99% of the situations that you end up in, your starting quarterback is found in the first round of a draft. If you see that guy in this draft, though, I don't know if the Saints can get high enough, if you know what I mean, uh, to, to, get, to trade up that high to get one of the those type tier QBs. I, I just don't envision that. If they got the 12th pick from from the Houston Texans, maybe. <laughs> right. Well, and that's the other problem. It's like, okay, like, oh, maybe you can swing a trade for Trey Lance. Well, you're not going to be able to do that now because Brock Purdy is dealing with a torn UCL. Like, you're not, you're not getting that. You know, like a guy like Jordan Love, maybe, but like the Packers, who knows what they're going to do. You know, there's there's guys to be had, but it's just not it's not a very attractive situation. I'm worried about the Jimmy oh, G scenario. Obviously, I'm I'm not a fan at all, and I I, I don't want to see that come into New Orleans. No, and that, but that is the next question: is who is going to be the starting quarterback? And thankfully, you now have a first round pick where you can play around with it, and maybe you can move up. Maybe you can go identify somebody and trade for him. But it's not going to be any of those guys at the Senior Bowl unless you want to take a quarterback in the sixth round. Um, so that's what that's that's all I have to say on that for now. Nothing high end there, at least like you said for for signal caller wise. But man, there has to be some kind of better answer going into next year. Even though for not just the team, I know fa- fans are ready to 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 lose their you know what um, over. Oh yeah, Twitter is so toxic right now. Oh, it's crazy between the fact of you know the what's going on with losing the coordinators now. 
uh, what's happening, you know, the lack, I guess you would say, of compensation people thought was coming for the Sean Payton trade and just a general outlook of the team has been pretty rough on Twitter. You almost want to stay away from it to keep out of the negativity. Oh, I agree with that. Um, but all right, let's wrap that segment up. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about some of the coaching moves and departures that have happened this week and maybe some more potential departures. Keep it locked on Inside Black and Gold. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And we're back here on Inside Black and Gold. And we are going to come back and talk about all of the people who are not here anymore. RIP. No, just kidding. They're alive. They're just not alive with the Saints. And yeah, it's it's been, you know, the, it's like the second you got to Mobile, all of a sudden, all the shoes started dropping, right? You know, Ryan Nielsen ended up in Atlanta as the Falcons offensive coordinator. Chris Richard is now no longer on the Saints. They parted ways. You know, it sounds like there was creative differences there. Let's put it that way. You know, we've already lost Dan Rochar as the tight ends coach and the run game coordinator. And Ronald Curry got an interview with the Bucks for their vacant offensive coordinator role. And so you don't know what's going to happen there. So at this point, the Saints are interviewing for defensive coordinators. They interviewed Joe Woods, who was the Browns defensive coordinator the last three seasons. He was on Dennis Allen's staff in 2014 back with the Raiders. So who knows? But it sounds like they're going to have to hire at least four coaches. You're going to have to hire a tight ends coach. You're going to have to hire a defensive coordinator, assuming that the defensive coordinator is not pulling double duty, like the way that Ryan Nielsen and Chris Richard coached the defensive line in the secondary, because now you're going to probably hire a defensive line coach or maybe shift Michael Hodges from linebackers to D-line and hire a linebackers coach, one of those two things. And then you're probably going to have to hire a secondary coach. So one year removed from the buzzword being continuity, there's a lot, a lot, a lot of coaching changes that are going to be happening. And none of the coaching changes that I think most people on Twitter would have would have wanted. Uh, the, the biggest question to me, honestly, Jeff, is the fact what came up with Richard, the, they're talking about the creative differences or, or however you want to put it, you know, with suddenly now the belief of the scheme or how things are run within the defense just seems kind of odd to me. Especially, I thought I thought Richard would be a guy that might get promoted to that sole DC spot, which you know, with with Nielsen out the picture, you know, the co-defensive coordinator would now take over the, as a full time gig. But that just obviously wasn't in the cards. Yeah, I I expect to hear updates not too far down the road on Richard. I don't think that it was just a straightforward like we're going to move on, right? Um, because you wanted to keep that guy in the building. I don't. I, I think I would be very surprised if it was just like, oh, yeah, yeah, we, we want to go a different route with our secondary. Secondary has been very good the last few seasons. The evaluations, the development have all been very good. So that's a strange thing to me. 
And, you know, we were talking a bit about this, and this is completely hypothetical, but, like, for example, Sean Payton wanted Vic Fangio as his defensive coordinator. Suddenly, Vic Fangio was the defensive coordinator with the Dolphins. Is is the ink dry? You know what I mean? Like, is, is there going to be a situation where maybe Vic Fangio can back out and go and go hang out with Sean? And Chris Richard was one of the candidates for the Dolphins. Maybe that's kind of what's happening. And, you know, the Saints want to get a head start on interviewing. So they're like, okay, we're going to move on. And then it's just going to be uh, some some hurdles to clear before Richard can get announced somewhere else. Maybe, again, that is just a theory. But, like, it's... it. When you see something like this and it's kind of weird and you unanswered questions, it, it kind of leads you to believe there's a little, there's some, you know, other shoes that are about to drop somewhere else. You know, maybe Chris is like, hey, I'm going to go, I'm going to go with Sean. I'm going to be his defensive coordinator. And, you know, you have to wait for his hiring to be made official before you can start doing that. Um, I don't think technically they could do that because they would have to do the interview process first either way. But it, it, I have a feeling there's going to be more coming out in terms of like there's a job already lined up for Chris. On another question, you, you know, you're bringing up Peyton. When he starts really getting his staff together, will he come a call him back to New Orleans to pick up some of, you know, some of the guys he's more familiar with? I think it it seems obvious, but I don't know if is there going to be any kind of understanding like Sean, you you can't just come here and and just take take away everything or take away a good chunk of Dennis Allen's staff now. Well, you can't hire people for in lateral moves. Like the Saints couldn't block those and they and Mickey already said they will. So like, for example, you couldn't hire Ronald Curry as your quarterback's coach in Denver, right? You couldn't hire him in that type of assistant role, but you could hire him as an offensive coordinator, right? So that's something to keep in mind. So technically, Sean can't have P. Carmichael. No, no, but we were talking about this on off air. So like, I do think it is an interesting question whether Pete wants to go coach with Sean. Because while the Saints could technically block that move, do you really want to hold somebody hostage? <laughs> right? Like, is that going to benefit you? I don't know. So like if Pete came and said, hey guys, would you mind? Because he can't just leave, right? He can't just quit. That would be breach of contract. You could get sued. But, you know, if he goes to Mickey and he's like, guys, I really don't want to be here. I'd rather be in Denver. Would the Saints hold him hostage and expect him to do a good job? Right? Like, that's the thing. It's like, you don't only want this guy here. You want him to be working hard and, and, and doing a good job. And holding somebody hostage is not exactly a good way to do that. So that'll be an interesting bridge to cross when you get that far. But I also don't think that, that Sean just wants to like bring his whole staff over to Denver either. I don't think that's the way he wants to build it. Like he wanted Vic Fangio, right? Like he wasn't just saying like, oh, I desperately want this guy and this guy and this guy. And I think Sean already has a short list of names that he's going to go after. But, you know, the from the offensive staff perspective, it is interesting because I don't want to see Ronald Curry leave, personally. I think Ronald Curry is a very good coach, and the Saints should be looking for ways to incorporate him more in a more significant role, not finding ways to convince him he has to leave to get further in his career. And that's what would frustrate me is, is if they are dedicated to Pete Carmichael, and then because of that, they lose Ronald Curry. Well, I mean, he's no secret. We obviously know that he's interviewed for a coordinator gig already, and that was just number one. Obviously, there's going to be other suitors in the future. I don't think anything else is lined up currently for him, though. No, and he he did. We did talk to him uh, yesterday, and he told us he had multiple interviews last year as well, which I don't think was reported. But 
you know, the, there's the whole Rooney, Rooney rule thing. So I think, you know, one of the issues with the Rooney rule is teams will just give you throwaway interviews because they need to satisfy that and they don't actually intend to hire you. And so like, that's when you see interviews and he's like, you know, they, they, he didn't get reported. Like they, you, there were no headlines saying, oh, so-and-so team is interviewing Ronald Curry. You know, that's what you start to ask questions about. And it's like, you know, so why why was his interview for offensive coordinator announced by the Bucks, right? Well, they need to make sure everyone knows that they satisfied that requirement so no one asks questions about it, right? Why why is the Saints interview of Joe Woods the first one that gets that gets leaked? Well, whether you intend to hire that guy or not, I think a lot of teams are aware that they want it made perfectly clear that they are satisfying this requirement because they don't want to show up in a lawsuit. But at the end of the day, I do think there's a question to be asked about whether giving minority candidates nominal interviews is actually solving any problems, because I don't know if it actually is. Well, I mean, look at the numbers around the league, and I think it'll tell you it's not really working. No, but then, and the other question was like, okay, if the Saints, if Chris Richard did get, well, actually it wouldn't matter with Chris Richard now because they did move on. So it wouldn't even be a question, but like, so if Ronald Curry got hired as an offensive coordinator would the Saints get comp picks. And from my understanding of the rules, they would not like that's only head coaches and GMs, which like Kerry Fontenot got hired by the Falcons. And so the Saints got two third round picks over two drafts. That would not be the case with, with offensive coordinators from my understanding. Yeah, and the thing is, too, that's a compensatory pick. It's not like the other team is forced to give up their their draft pick to the other team, right? Yeah, it's just a comp pick. It's the same like if so-and-so left in free agency and like like the Saints, I think, will be end up getting a seventh-round comp pick this year for you know some of the free agents that left. But they won't get a third-round pick like I think a lot of people would have expected after you lose Teron Armstead and Marcus Williams on these big deals. Those are offset by... Marcus May and Andy Dalton, as frustrating as that is. <laughs> like you lose these like pro bowl caliber players and replace them with Andy Dalton and Marcus May and you don't get a comp pick, uh, which is strange. But I know Tehran had a rough year in Miami. I mean, dealing with injuries. It's part of the reason you let him go. Um, but here, let's, let's listen to Ronald Curry. We talked to him yesterday and uh, I thought he had a lot of interesting things to say about, you know, getting the interview with Tampa, you know, coaching at the Senior Bowl and whatnot. So here's that interview. For me, obviously, it's, a, it's an honor and a privilege to be the coordinator. Um, the whole reason I got into coaching really was to coach young guys that are, you know, that still got a lot of development to do. Um, so we getting that, you know what I mean? Just being able to put in a system that a lot of these guys didn't hear, but they will hear one day and fine-tuning it and then being able to, like, be just the leader of men. So um, it's an honor and a privilege, and it's really what I signed up for. What did you think when you heard the uh, Sean Payton news yesterday? Uh, I mean, we knew he was going somewhere, um, you know, so I'm happy for him. I mean, he's a great dude, great coach. I mean, Denver got a great one, um, but, you know, we look forward to playing him in, I guess, 2024. You know I mean? So he's going to do well. I mean, he's a stud, man. Just wish him the best. Do you, do you think of, like, him and Russell, what you saw him and Drew here, what do you potentially do there? I, I'm, I'm trying to you know, get our quarterback situation, our quarterback situation. So I look forward to working with you know Jameis and Andy and the guys that we got there. So uh, that relationship is I'm sure is going to be great. So I wasn't here when Drew first got here. I watched from afar like everybody else. So, but you know Sean is one of the best to ever do it. So whoever his quarterback is, I'm pretty sure he's going to find production out of him. What does this experience mean? As far as, or being here, I mean, as far as getting experience to maybe move up to the next level, not just for you, but other I mean, systems, you know, it's like, you know, 
I wouldn't say it's, it's not experience, it's just really showing people that you can do it. I mean, I feel like I'm more than capable to, to go out here and call plays on Sunday. I've been in the game for, you know, 11 years. I played for eight years. So, you know, I've been around some great coaches, some different systems, and you know, I feel like I learned a lot, you know, along the way. So, you know, it's really just showing people that, you know, I can handle myself as an offensive coordinator. And, you know, the experience is great, but I feel like, you know, it's just, it's just really proving them proving to them that it's something I'm capable of doing more than like the experience of doing it. Is it kind of like a job fair being here, being able to show what you can uh, do? You know, I, I mean, I, I don't look at it as a job fair, like I'm auditioning for other teams. You know what I mean? I, I love being in New Orleans Saints. And, um, I, I didn't look at it like if I come out here, the teams will see what I'm able to do. Um, it is, you know, just the, pose, the, the question that was posed, like, is it experience or, <laughs> or not? I just feel like it's just a, a way of proving that, you know, I'm more than capable of doing uh, I'm not auditioning for any team. I love, I love the job I got. Obviously, I want to be a coordinator in this game one day, and I feel like that time will come when the time is right. Getting the call from Tampa, does that is that like sort of the next step when you start getting those kind of calls? Yeah, when you when you when you go on interviews, it's, it's awesome. You know, I had a couple last year, and then you know this one this year. And there's, there's a lot of jobs out there. And, uh, you all you, know, you sit back and you look at some of the guys that's getting interviewed and. Just like anybody that's competitive, you know, you just want a shot to go out there and show what you can do. Um, so I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm happy that Tampa, you know, called and kind of got the ball rolling. I think the interview went great. So just look forward to hearing from them one way or another. You know, we don't get a lot of chances to talk to Ronald Curry, and that's only part of the interview. Um, you know, I also asked him, you know, what kind of was the major difference this year when you kind of went from Sean Payton to Pete Carmichael? And he said there really wasn't that much of a difference because. The way the Saints operated in the preseason was Pete Carmichael ran the show and he called the plays in the preseason and then you got to the regular season and that's when Sean kind of took over from an offensive perspective. And this year it was basically like, okay, you got through the preseason and then you just kept kept doing that. And all these coaches had been together for so long that it really wasn't that much of a change. Um, <clears throat> he was also asked you know, whether he feels like he expects to be kind of more integrated into the play calling. He said no. He doesn't expect that. Um, he got to call plays in the Green Bay preseason game last year, and he said that he kind of expects another game like that, maybe more preseason action. But, you know, from the perspective of maybe they shift play calling and, and put him in that role, it doesn't sound like he's expecting that. Whether that could still happen, I don't know. I hope it does because I would like to see him get a better chance to lead that offense because I think that he is a very underutilized commodity on this team. I just think maybe a little too soon for Curry still to take over as a play caller. Keep getting some more experience, I guess, with those those preseason games. I know that he's going to – the Saints need uh, an injection, though, of, of some kind of more creativity, and I just haven't seen that at all the last year's offense was tough to watch obviously and you can't really know how much was dictated because of quarterback play and how much was also because of the play calling yeah i mean like i guess at what point are you ready like i i don't know like he's 43 years old he's been a coach for a decade he played for eight years like at a certain point you just give somebody an opportunity and see what they have right and so but they made it clear they're not moving on from pete yeah, I, and I I mean, to be fair, they didn't make that clear. I guess so, right. Like, it's not like they came out and announced that. Like, that was reporting. Um, that was from Mike Triplett initially, and I think they didn't deny it. But, like, it's not like they came out and said, you know, we are committed to doing this exactly the same way we did last year. 
All that we know is they're not firing Pete Carmichael. That doesn't mean they're not going to change things. You know, he was the pass game coordinator last year. That was a new thing for Ronald. Um, and, you know, maybe they'll add more to his play. I'm not saying they're going to make him the primary play caller. I'm just saying, like, you don't want to just lose the, the coaches that you've developed, right? Um, there are four there were four coaches out at the senior bowl practices. I talked to three of them. I talked to DJ, I talked to Declan Doyle and uh, the other one was Corey Robinson. I didn't get the chance to talk to him, but all of these guys, this is an opportunity to really kind of prove they can do the things that they already know they can do. Just haven't got a chance to yet. So, you know, hopefully this is something that the saints look at as, as kind of a stepping off point for a lot of these guys. Yeah. You definitely want to develop these guys. And like you said, keep them, uh, but you know, it's a it's a business though too where, you know, it's a lot of who you know kind of deal. And you know, uh, later on if somebody moves on from the Saints organization, it's all about you know, obviously the networking and just getting to know uh, more of the other coaches around with you. And the the Saints just seem to take prime, really take advantage of the use of the Senior Bowl to its max, not just from scouting players, but even developing their coaches with the the situations there of interviewing the players of getting to do you know uh, more stuff on the field and getting to learn from these get to know these players on a more intimate level get to know them more personally is is huge when it comes down to the line for the future as well yeah and I, and I think that that is a big part of this is you know normally in the, at the senior bowl you get like 15 minutes to kind of sit with the players and you don't really have a ton of time to get a good picture but no these guys are on the field with them all week they're in the meeting rooms with them they're installing offense and defense and you know that's a big a big advantage that i think the saints were thrilled to take advantage of and i think that because they told us that over and over again um and i and i believe it right so here's one of the things that you know we asked jeff ireland like what traits he's looking for in in players and, and I thought his answer was interesting. Self-awareness, you know, where, where they are in the world, you know, I mean, intelligence. Uh, those are probably the two most uh, important things we're looking at. Just as a, again, we're getting 15 minutes with them. Sometimes I call it the speed dating rounds and you get four at a time and you got to really kind of get in there and ask these questions and then they're on the next, on to the next date. So, um, but uh, those are two things that we're looking for. Yeah, so self-awareness and intelligence, right? So I think a lot of times people get caught up in like, oh, you know, this this guy looks fantastic on the field. Like he's this 1% athlete, right? And while that's necessary, that's pretty much true of everybody that's going into the NFL is they're 1% athletes and they they can make spectacular things happen. But the what separates an NFL player from a college player a lot of the time is processing speed, is understanding what's happening and understanding how to improve and how what the other team is trying to do against you. And that's not something you can always project, right? A lot of these offenses they're running in college and a lot of the defenses you're running in college are very simple. They are not the type of schemes you're going to see in the NFL. So you have to kind of project how players can get to that next level. And I think self-awareness is a really interesting answer in that, like, what does that mean? from a coaching perspective, like it's, it's like, how do you, how do you find that in a player? And it's like, you can't fake self-awareness. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's like inherently you can't fake it. <laughs> you know, like you either have it or you don't, because if you don't have it, you are not aware that you don't have it. And, and it's kind of a funny thing to look for in, in a, in a prospect. And like, I think that's why when you ask, why are the saints so invested in this process? That's why, because that's what they're looking for in players, not just 40 times. And you know, like, like, 
broad jump scores and that sort of thing. Yeah, and just the the more time spent on the field with these guys, you know, you get a taste of their football IQ, and you know, the, you know, the Saints are obviously looking for dialed in smart players, guys that can handle their playbook. Yeah, and and that's not true of just the Saints. No, right, exactly. That's that, that's, but it is like I think the teams that are the most consistent and in finding quality players, not necessarily the 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 top ten picks, not these like you know, oh man, you got Tom Brady in the sixth round. Like those are those are rare to the point that if you're tr- looking for them, you are wasting your time and you are missing the players that are actually going to be the core of your roster, right? One of the reasons I think the Saints like the Senior Bowl is because they're more worried about building quality depth than, you know, dart throws of like, oh, well, this guy, you know, he has these one or two traits. We don't like this and this, but we're going to, we're going to, we're going to ignore that and and draft him anyway. Like they want to find the players that fit the scheme, that fit the team so that your roster from top to bottom is quality. Right, you don't you don't win a Super Bowl because your your three best players are stars, and then the next fifty are eh, okay. Like you win because one through fifty three is at a is above a baseline. And sure, if you have those three stars, you know if you have a Pat Mahomes, right? If you have these guys who help elevate you, that's 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 great. That makes you from a contender to a Super Bowl favorite. But you have to be a contender before you can before you can get to that level, and that's what you get from these type of scouting events. Yeah, and I, I wish the Saints found more uh, Cam Jordans at defensive end than your uh, your your Marcus Davenport's and your Peyton Turner's. Sorry, I know it's a little maybe a little too early still on on Turner, but uh, I think we made the joke or I made the joke uh, on a previous podcast that those guys are never going to total Cam Jordan. They'll, they'll never be able to match his total games played. All three Senior Bowl guys. <laughs> no, right? Exactly. Yes. So one of the questions that Jeff Ireland was asked was like, you know, is, is Peyton Turner, you know, what's holding him back? And he actually gave a pretty frank answer of like, yeah, he's got, he's got a hump to get over. You know, he mentioned his weight. He like, he mentioned, you know, coming into camp in shape, which, you know, it's interesting. And you, you do have to give Peyton the benefit of the doubt of like, he was dealing with a surgery last off season. It probably limited what he was able to do. But like when you're getting called out for you know your weight and your and your motivation, it's not a great sign. So hopefully that's something that as you go forward, you're gonna get a new defensive line coach. Maybe that can help spur him. But like that's not the type of answer you typically hear about a young player. You're usually getting the kind of PR like, oh, we love this guy, he works hard, blah, blah, blah. Like, so cause everything you're hearing there is magnified times ten just because of the fact that he's willing to say it in public. Well, I think, too, in the way Jeff Ireland said it, though, was kind of like it came across as very aggravated, obviously. I think they are frustrated. I think this team is frustrated because you spent a first-round pick on a guy and you have not got a first-round first, first round production out of him. Now, you asked about Trevor Penning, a guy who only played in three games, right, or however many it was, you know, and he got a glowing review. Like, it was like every game he was out there, he was better than the one he was before. We kept giving him more and more, and he kept picking it up and improving. And like that's what you're used to hearing. So like to hear to hear Peyton get that type of review, I think it's like this is a this is a I think this is a kind of make or break off season for him. Yeah, I think I think that's really what you're looking at here is like okay, Peyton, like, the gloves are off. 
it is time to either put up or shut up. And like, he's like, yeah, we still, the athlete's still there. The guy that we drafted is still there. We just have to see it. And uh, yeah, I thought that was a really interesting answer. And it's like, yeah, like this is the year, year three for a rookie, a first round pick is like, if you're not productive, if you are not a starter and, and, and forced, like this is a guy who was getting, he was a healthy scratch last year in several games. It's a first round pick guys. That does not happen for first round picks. So you know, you got to see something from him and, and hopefully you do hope like, that's the thing. It's like, you don't say that about a guy because you don't care. You say that about a guy because you know that he has the ability to be an impact player. And for, for reasons that you can identify, he has not been able to do that. And part of that is health, but a lot of it's not health. A lot of it is doing the stuff you need to do as a pro. And so like that's, I think that's something that you look at this offseason and you're like, okay, can he be a first round pick quality player? This is this is where you start. Yeah, and I think you saw it, I saw it. Obviously, the coaches saw it. The fact that an undrafted guy who's been around for a little bit now with Carl Granderson was definitely outplaying Turner, and there was no nothing Turner was doing was able to get him on the field, even though you felt like he should be able to. Obviously, but there were other guys on that defensive line that were impeding that if you could say and to me when you look at the numbers from the d-line that shouldn't be the case either yeah i mean week 18 you were eliminated and that still wasn't like okay give peyton turner as many snaps as he can handle and see what he can do like that's the that's where that's the point that you were at in that season with him where you didn't even like that wasn't even like the thought process there like i don't even know if he was active for that game like that's just not a good look and i think you know there's there's I'm sure he was frustrated and you know, maybe, maybe when you swap out a new defensive line coach, maybe you can get a little more out of him. I think that should be a priority in in terms of who you hire. Maybe there's that kind of positive right there. There was some kind of, he didn't get along with Nielsen and hopefully the new defensive line coach can bring something out of Turner. But I got to tell you, I'm a huge Nielsen fan. And I I think just losing him uh, hurts the team. Uh, just for his fire, his passion, and what he brings and that aggressive attacking nature to this defense, I, I think will definitely be missed. But yeah, I'm, I'm, it's going to take a lot for you to sell me on Peyton Turner going into training camp this year. I agree with that. I think Nielsen has been a good coach. What I would say is he has not, his recent track record of developing young players, particularly the two first round picks and Marcus Davenport and Peyton Turner has not been great. You know, he did he did great work with Trey Hendrickson. He did great work with Carl Granderson, but these are not top end athletes. These are not the guys you're drafting with the hope that they are anchoring your defense. Like so, you know, like there's there's a there's gotta be a, a like a point there where you where you fix that. And so, you know, maybe the guy you bring in is gonna be someone who has a track record of developing these you know high end picks because that's that's the frustration point for me it's like you have spent a lot of draft capital on one guy who you know maybe you bring him back in Marcus Davenport and Peyton Turner a guy who you weren't even playing last year in year 2 like that's not good like the the, the things you could have done with those picks right <laughs> with three first round picks and the production you have gotten out of them last year like that that's the, the value of three first-round picks, you got two and a half sacks out of those those three first-round picks. You didn't even get one sack per first-round pick that you used to bring in Marcus Davenport and Peyton Turner. Like, that's not good. Um, and so, you know, I, I like Ryan Nielsen a lot. I think he's a good head coach. 
but I, I don't know if he necessarily was getting the job done in that department. I feel you on that. I just, um, to me, what's frustrating too, you talk about with Peyton Turner, Marcus Davenport, they're almost like the same type of player, unfortunately. And they're the clones of each other. <laughs> yeah. You got the, the biggest problem with both of them is number one, every time it's like, are they on the field? And now the problem, even with Peyton Turner, the dude's healthy and just still not getting it done. So that that's, that's a huge concern for me, obviously. I agree, but all right, let's uh, let's wrap up this segment. My name's Jeff Nowak. He's Steve Geller. Make sure you hit that subscribe button. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Steve, I don't know if you if you heard the last podcast. We got three five star ratings after my rant about one star ratings. There you go. You're getting the job done. They're encouraging me to to be a whiny bitch. <laughs> and please, please, sir, give us those five stars. <laughs> there it is. All right, stick around on Inside Black and Gold. We're going to hit that live mail. All right, stick around, y'all. And we're back here on Inside Black and Gold. We're going to hit our Thursday live mailbag. I'm Jeff Nowak alongside Steve Geller. If you haven't already, hit that subscribe button and we will continue to yell at you through your screens as as I, I assume you all enjoy because you're here. Here's one from Don Tomasino, a guy after my own heart. says, the Saints haven't gotten any good players from the Senior Bowl. It's almost like he did not watch our last video where I spent like 45 minutes talking about all the players the Saints have gotten out of the Senior Bowl. But um, we can go through the list again right here. Not the entire list, but just a few of them. Just the good picks. Yeah, give them the good ones. Yeah, so last year you had Trevor Penning and Alante Taylor. I think the jury's still out on both of those guys, but I feel good about them. 2019, you had Eric McCoy. 2016, you had Sheldon Rankins. 2013, you had Teron Armstead. 2011, you had Cam Jordan. 2010, you had Patrick Robinson and Jimmy Graham. 2009, you had Thomas Morstead. 2008, you had Tracy Porter and Carl Nix. 2006, you had Roman Harper. 2004, you had Devery Henderson. 2003, John Stinchcomb. Uh, that's probably you know the list of like really good players that you got. That's pretty good. That's more than more than none. What's his name? The Goldilocks. The linebacker was pretty good. He was at the Senior Bowl, right? Alex Anzalone. Yeah, he wasn't terrible. He's fine. I would say he's below the bar of the players that I mentioned, right? Like there's a there's a lot of decent players on there that I did not mention. Those are just the really good players. And so, I mean, that's probably what, 10, 12, you know? So I think the, the saying they haven't gotten any good players from the Senior Bowl, I mean, Cam Jordan's a Hall of Famer in my opinion. Easily, right. He's one of the best players in Saints history. I mean, they're to uh, Don Tomasino's credit, I feel you, there's, there, there have been way too many flubs than than there should have been i guess oh they definitely missed we were just bitching about peyton turner <laughs> right like peyton turner marcus davenport stefan anthony stanley jean baptiste like they have they have bad players at the senior bowl too but i mean you'll draft bad players regardless of whether they're at the senior bowl or not like that's it's like you have plenty of bad players and like bad draft picks out there to, to worry about yes every time you say that i hear that stanley jean baptiste and i'm like oh dear lord yeah, and it's a it's a bad look that both like I would argue that Marcus Davenport's biggest issue is is mental, right? And we talked about how like 
you spend all this time trying to like go under the hood and, and figure out which you know which players kind of stand out from a from a mental perspective, and then you end up with two first round picks out of this scouting event where you're talking about one of these big deals is oh we get all this time to like learn about these players, and then you end up with issues that are purely non physical. Well, at least that's true with Marcus, I think. Like with Peyton, I think that there are physical issues as well. Um, but yeah, it's it's that's that's frustrating. We've seen Davenport at least dominate physically. Well, that's why I say that, right? Like that's why I say that his issues are not physical because we have seen him be an elite pass rusher. You know, it was the year that he couldn't stay on the field for a lot of the games, but you know he led the team in sacks in the games he played. You think he had what twelve, thirteen? Um, and so, like, yeah, it's that's why you can say with him it is not a physical limitation. With Peyton, I don't know because we haven't seen either. But when, again, when you hear Jeff Ireland come out and give the very blunt assessment of his performance and what he has to do, it kind of indicates that, you know, there, there's, a, there's a little bit of both going on. Sean Sessions says, we're free-falling. Woo! You know? That, I, I'm not going to lie. So when, when I was talking to Ross Jackson about this, and he is a very, he is a very strong supporter of drafting handed hooker at number 40. And, and I understand why I get it. But one of my questions is, so if the reason you are so confident about Hendon Hooker is that he fits perfectly in the Pete Carmichael offense, right? And, and you really like what he brings. Well, what happens, for example, if the Saints go 3-14 and 14 next year, which I, I don't expect, but I also don't see as out of the realm of possibility and then you clean house on the from a coaching staff perspective and you bring in a new offensive coordinator who is not Pete Carmichael and is going to revamp some of the things you're doing do you do you just throw Hendon Hooker into that offense because I do think that that he is a quarterback who makes sense in certain situations but does not make sense everywhere so like are you are you not preparing for that eventuality I don't know if you can like I don't think you can make decisions based on well what if we're the worst team in the NFL but I also don't think that you can make all of your decisions based on okay we're gonna have this coaching staff for the next 10 years because what we've seen thus far is not particularly encouraging no and they had a real chance to go out on a huge high obviously and pulled the rug out from all of us after getting our hopes up in that finale against Carolina because Man, that was just some god-awful football we watched. I was not ever going to be on a high, whether they won that game or not. Don't speak for me, sir. <laughs> uh, there's that little bit of a boost. At least you had that win streak you know, to close out the season. I would have preferred to not watch that game at all. <laughs> no, we would have been better off not watching it, for sure. And the reason I would have preferred it is because I knew it was going to look like that. Anyway, Vincent P., are we tanking early? See, I don't think that... like. It might sound like based on what I said that like I do think that might maybe that's what's going on. I don't think that's what's going on. Like I don't think this team is going to actively subvert their own chances to win. Dennis Allen heading into year two. I'm gonna I'm gonna tank. No, like like that's what I'm saying. Like I don't think that this team would actively do that, but it might be out of your control, <laughs> and you have to uh, uh, and you have to at least be prepared for the possibility that this just goes down in flames. Right. And so if you're basing your draft pick around this is the guy that I want to pair with Pete Carmichael for the next five years, it might not be the best draft strategy. I'm just being honest. 
And I, I told that to Ross and he was like, you know what? That's a good point. <laughs> I think he's still all in on Hendon Hooker, but like, I do think that it's a question you need to seriously ask yourself. The problem is you can't ask that internally because you can't go to a head coach and be like, should we really draft this guy if you're going to get fired next year? <laughs> no, and, I, and I, with Vincent, I understand too. It's like you see all of a sudden now losing these defensive pieces on the coaching staff when the defense was one of the brighter spots, obviously, this past season. But to me, even with them being both, you know, the two co-coordinators, defensive coordinators, and what they also brought to their position group, you still had Dennis Allen calling the plays of that team. So I think you'll feel more on the defensive line in the secondary, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think if I have concerns going forward, one of them is, you know, it's not a good look when both of your co-defensive coordinators are just like getting out of town as quickly as possible. Like, like that's not a good look. And I think one of the reasons head coaching tenures fail beyond just not being a good head coach is not understanding how to delegate and not empowering the people who work for you that you have hired with the understanding that they can get the job done. And then that's when you lose quality coaches. Right, like, like these are guys who I think felt like they deserved a bigger role and they didn't get it, and that's it's frustrating to me when you see a when you see a coach that I would argue is a very good defensive coordinator, but doesn't do a lot of the head coach things well. It's like why aren't you focusing on the head coach things? Like, I don't you know, if you want to be a defensive coordinator, be a defensive coordinator, right? Like, I don't think that that Sean Payton succeeded as a offensive minded head coach by stepping on the toes of all of the people he hired to to do their their jobs. But I do think that's how you fail as a head coach. And and so that's what I'd be worried about. But that said, like I'm not going to overvalue what happened with Ryan and what happened with Chris because this wasn't the necessarily the design of Dennis as a head coach, right? Like look at for example, and this is maybe an unfair example, but it's an example. Look at the first year under Ed Ogeron with LSU. And he was kind of forced into the Matt Canada situation. And there was this idea that, well, we're not paying Ed that much, so we're going to hire these high price coordinators regardless of whether they make sense. Well, it didn't really work. The next year, you kind of let Ed build his own staff. And suddenly you ended up with Joe Brady and Steve Ensminger and, and, and Dave Aranda and and that was like the best college football team of all time, right? All those guys left. And then you kind of got stuck with this situation again. Ed tried to hire Ryan Nielsen. Sean talked him out of it. Um, did him a favor, I would argue, because like where's Jake Peets now, right? Like like <laughs> the, the coordinators on that team, uh, Durante Jones is back coaching defensive backs with the Vikings, right? So like there are situations where as a coach, you can succeed by empowering people, but you have to be willing to do that and you have to be confident in those people. If, if DA is able to bring in a defensive coordinator that, that he's very confident in and he works well with, then maybe it's a net positive. But it's just not a good look when guys are just running out of town. I just thought it was odd. I understand even with Nielsen going on, finally getting to run his own defense kind of deal, leaving you know a little bit behind in New Orleans uh, for for a new challenge kind of kind of thing, but what just led me to think that Richard would be considered as the full time DC then, 
and it just was weird that there seemed to be this falling out of scheme or not belief in the same direction kind of deal. And I'm just curious more about what fell apart with Richard at the end there. Yeah, right. And and I know Nick Nick Underhill had a report that like they weren't necessarily seeing eye to eye in a lot of these situations, and it's it's weird because Dennis hired Chris as to be a secondary coach, right? Like it's not like it's not like Sean was was building that defensive staff. Like Da was building his own defensive staff, and uh, it's it's strange because like as long as Dennis was there, you knew you weren't going to become the defensive coordinator. It's weird. It's a weird situation. It's just it is frustrating because the defense was not an issue with this team. Although, you know, we can say that and look at kind of the overall season they had. They did struggle early in the year. They did start really slow. And, you know, part of that, you know, it's hard to hold it too much against the secondary, especially when you played 10 games without Marshawn Lattimore and you saw how different things looked when he came back in week 17, right? And so, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's hopefully that whoever they bring in, like it, Chris was only there for two years. It's not like he built that entire, it's not like he developed Marshawn and, and built that entire secondary. Like it was Aaron Glenn until Chris Richard took over in 2021. So it's, you know, I, I'd be more, I'm more curious as to how things change on, from a defensive line standpoint than a, than a secondary standpoint. Is that a position they find in-house? That, that I'm not sure about, but if you do hire Joe Woods, he is kind of a secondary coach by trade. So maybe he has a big hand in in kind of leading that group. Oh, I thought you meant D-line. D-line, I was saying, I wonder if you find oh, someone in-house. Oh, yeah, it's possible. Um, I don't know if you have anyone that necessarily makes sense, right? Like you don't really have a kind of D-line coach waiting in the wings per se, but maybe you maybe Michael Hodges is a guy you move over. I think it's a – yeah, um, because I think they really like Michael Hodges, and I think D-line is kind of a more – high cachet uh, role than linebackers coach for some reason. I don't know why it is, but it seems like that. Um, Here's Walt Crawford. We should sign Baker Mayfield instead of Andy Dalton. We still need to draft a quarterback. I mean, sure. One way or another, you're, you're talking about a one year, $10 million deal, right? Like you're not, you're not signing, you're signing a bridge, which it's weird to say that Baker Mayfield is a bridge considering he's what, like 26 years old. Um, But you know, I think that is what he is. Actually, how old is Baker? Is he 28? He's still young enough uh, for sure to be considered amongst the, the you know, the younger guns. What's How old is he? 27. I think the, the reason that I almost prefer Andy Dalton in this scenario is if you are signing him to be a bridge, you want him to be a bridge. And there will never be any question as to whether you should move on from Andy Dalton at whatever point your rookie quarterback's ready. With Baker, I think there is more gray area, the same way there would be with Jameis, if you signed him and then you were like, well, he's playing really well, but we drafted this rookie that we intend to start. What do we do now? Um, and it's like, but but at the same time, the ceiling is not that high where you're like, well, we can just, it's not like Aaron Rodgers versus Jordan Love, right? Where you're like, okay, fine. We can just bail on Jordan Love because Aaron Rodgers is still playing at an MVP level. With Baker, you're talking about a guy who at his peak is like maybe a playoff, a fringe playoff quarterback, just like Andy Dalton. So yeah, but, but if you, but if, if you're not signing him to be a bridge, right? Like I would rather you sign Baker with the upside that he does have as a 27 year old rather than Andy with no one learning behind him. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, definitely. I just worry with Baker, though, too. It's like, how many teams has he going through? And is a guy, I, I just don't consider him on the upper crust of the, of a, a not just, you know, your quarterback, just his, his accurate and overall. I don't have a problem with the attitude. I just think the output doesn't match the attitude. If that, if you know you, what I'm saying there, he's he's not the guy that should be getting all the commercials and getting all these headlines. I just think he's a less than average quarterback, honestly, in the league. See, I, I don't know about that. Like, I think he is a like you don't get drafted number one by accident. I think it's a mental thing with him. I think it's a leadership thing. It's the same reason Zach Wilson is struggling. It's like you like you, you have all the intangibles as a quarterback, but you don't have the mental fortitude to lead a team. And, you know, maybe that is something you can rehabilitate with Baker. Maybe he should stop being in as many commercials and you know, maybe he should focus on being a quarterback. But who Pete you know, Pete, Pete Carmichael's gonna rehab that out of Baker? No, I'm not saying he would. I'm just I'm just saying like from a from a upside perspective if if you are signing someone not to be a bridge and you are choosing between Andy Dalton and Baker I would go with Baker but that's just because like he has a little more excitement to his game I thought he actually played pretty well for the Rams right maybe maybe he has been humbled right maybe that you know maybe that is something that's happened the same way Geno Smith right kind of got flaked around everywhere, and then suddenly it was like, okay, I'm just going to settle in and, and learn how to be a winning quarterback. Remember Geno Smith got punched in the face by a teammate and broke his jaw, right? Like, like that was Geno Smith early in his career. Now Geno Smith is this mature quarterback who is just playing to his ceiling, and his ceiling is good enough to maybe not be a superstar, but to be a winning NFL quarterback. Maybe Baker can do that, you know? Hell, maybe Jameis can do that, the problem is I think the bridge is burned with Jameis and I don't think you're bringing him back. So like, I don't know, but either way, what you have with Andy is just a very low, high floor kind of veteran. And that's not a guy who you're going to bring in to be anything more than a bridge. You mentioned that with Gino. Do you, did it ever come out on why he ended up getting slugged in the jaw? Talk shit, get hit. <laughs> I didn't know if there was any other kind of story behind it. I think that, yeah, the source has told me talk shit, get hit. Heard that. Heard that. Yeah. So there's this graph you could look at if you, you know. Yes, right. Fuck around and find out, right? Yeah. If you you fuck around at a seven and you bring that over to the x-axis, then you will find out at a seven. Yeah, okay. Um, that is that is my, yeah, my resources have told me that that is what happened. He effed around and he found out. But yeah. But it, it, it's funny because at the time, I, you know, I was working in Myrtle Beach and I would always tell my sports editor at the time, his name was Dave uh, Wetzel. And we had this running joke that it was like, if you sign Ryan Fitzpatrick to be your backup quarterback, you are, you are guaranteeing. You, 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 like you might as well just throw your starting quarterback off a cliff because Ryan Fitzpatrick will be starting for your team in some way. It'll be ridiculous however it happens, right? Like Geno Smith will get punched in the face and break his jaw and Ryan Fitzpatrick will be your starting quarterback. It is inevitable. And just by signing him, you have cursed your starter. And that's what they did. And that's like Ryan Fitzpatrick started the rest of that season and he actually played pretty well. He ended up on the Bucks, And then, and then Jameis gets suspended and then Ryan Fitzpatrick is, you know, it's, it's uh, the curse of the Fitz. Um, but yeah. It's the Fitz magic. Yeah. Yes. That is the real Fitz magic. Um, all right, let's get a couple more questions in here and we can clear out. Leslie Cushenberry 
Says first round hooker, second round defensive tackle, third round running back, fourth round safety. What do you think? How does that sound? Pass it on to Loomis. <laughs> well, he's he, he's going to throw that out because hooker in the first round is not happening. Yeah, I don't think you're drafting hooker in the first round. But at the same time, if you do believe in Hendon Hooker, I'm okay with it. Like that's the thing is, you know, you don't wait around to if you if you think he's the guy. Now, if you don't think he's the guy, you're not drafting him at all. So, like, I almost think that if you are going to draft Hendon Hooker, you do draft him at 29 because if you don't and you say, well, he is the guy, we have evaluated him, and it, he checks all of our boxes, and then you say, but we're going to try to steal him at 40, and then he goes at 36, then you have mismanaged your situation, right? It's the same reason, like, when Dave Gettleman took Daniel Jones at number six, everyone lost their collective mind. They were like, I can't believe you did that. You could have got him at 17. Well, sure, maybe, but if you truly believe that he's your franchise quarterback, then you can't guarantee you get him at 17. So you will draft him at number six and you will take Dexter Lawrence at 17. And like, you can say all the crap you want about Dave Gettleman. He nailed those two draft picks. And that was the pick he got in the Odell Beckham trade. How good has Odell Beckham been? So like, you know, it, I think when you're drafting a quarterback, you do have to just go for it if you think he's the guy. You are not trying to get a value on your pick, right? And so, like, that's why when you get out of the first round, if you don't, if your quarterback has not been taken in the first round and all 32 teams have passed on him, it's a pretty good indicator that you don't believe in him. And that's why, you know, Malik Willis goes until like the fourth round until someone's like, oh, fine, I'll take Malik Willis. <laughs> no, I kind of, I'll, I'll backtrack that on Hooker too about the first round just because too, you get that fifth year option with the rookie deal. Yes. That, and that is a significant thing for quarterbacks, right? Especially a guy who might not be ready to start right away. So like, I, I mean, I'm okay. Like, again, I'm not sold on Hendon Hooker, but I'm not going to say you wouldn't take him at 29 versus 40. I would almost argue that if you are going to take Hendon Hooker, you better take him at 29 because you can't guarantee he's there at 40. But I still don't think that that, that he's the guy. Maybe you can move down a couple spots and get some more picks too. Not if you're trying to draft Hendon Hooker. That's my point. No, but even say at 29, if you think that's even still too little early for Hooker, maybe you can get back even later in the first and still nab him. It's like you're not listening to me at all, Steve. What if you trade back and then the guy you traded for, the team you traded with, drafts Hendon Hooker? Right. I, I, I hear you there. I, I just don't think that I, – I, I could be obviously totally wrong. We're still way early into the whole NFL draft countdown shenanigans, but I just don't think Hooker's going to be a, a guy that's thought of in the first round. But at, at, it is early right now. I agree. Well, so one of the – like people give the Saints crap about not trading up. I mean, sorry, not trading back. And I think one of the reasons that you need to understand they don't do that is because the Saints are kind of a target drafting team. They are not a team that sits around and, and then like waits to see who's there and then drafts from a pool available. They identify their targets and then they go get them. And so the reason you don't see them trade down is because when they make their evaluation and they're confident about a player, they're confident and they go get them. They don't want to. They don't want to take a guy who they might have an 80 grade on when there's a guy they have a 95 grade on. And the reason they took the 80 was because they were trying to get cute. Like, look at the Giants, for example. Another Giants one is they traded down from 10 with the Bears, who went and went up and got Justin Fields, and they were like, "Well, we'll just take whoever's there at 20 something." And you know who that player was that they drafted? Kadarius Tony, the 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 wide receiver who is now on the Chiefs. In playing in the Super Bowl next week, right? So, like, it's not as simple as, well, we're going to get the most value 
And by doing that, we're taking a player that we might not be as confident in from a grade perspective. Now, again, the Saints have a bad habit of whiffing on these players that they're confident in anyway. So that doesn't necessarily add up. But that's the reason you don't see a lot of trades back because fundamentally it goes against the philosophy of we're, we have we really like this guy, we're going to go get him. No, that's something even, I think it was Ireland that mentioned at the Senior Bowls, it's, you know, you don't wait around for your guy. You Like you just said, it's it's all about, that's our dude, we want him, we're going to go get him. That's it, simple as that. No, no fucking around with it. And again, like I said, traditionally speaking, you don't find you're not finding a starting quarterback outside of the first round. At least, you know, other, otherwise it's just dumb luck, and you're not trying to throw darts, right? Like, that's another thing Ireland said. It's like you're not you're not just throwing darts and hoping you hit something. That's that's not what good drafting teams do. <laughs> um, here's Leslie again says first round, please no Anthony Richardson. I think Anthony Richardson is one of the more f- fascinating players to me because I've watched him play a good bit. You know, like I've watched him lose to LSU <laughs> um, and look bad doing it. And it's like, that's the guy that everyone's like convinced is a top 10 pick. I, uh, like he can't, like, he, I don't, I don't, I don't think he can throw like at least not with accuracy. Like he can, he can make all the combine throws and that's, what's going to end up happening is he's going to go to the combine. Everyone's going to get enamored with his 40 time and he's going to make these Zach Wilson practice throws and everyone's going to be like, wow, he can do it. He can make all the throws. But then it's like, put it on the tape guys. Like, don't look at the like the plays that he extends for 20 seconds and then find somebody in the end zone. Look at every other play, <laughs> right? Look at the baseline. It's not there, and and like it's it's wild to me that suddenly Anthony Richardson is a top 10 pick. I don't I don't get it. But as long as the Saints aren't drafting him, okay, I agree with you, Leslie. I would think yeah, accuracy and just decision making in general are a problem for me with him. I agree. Uh, Louise Lockett is the Saints NFC South dynasty over. Well, I think yes. I, I think definitively it is, considering the Bucks have won the NFC South for two consecutive seasons. But when we need, when do we get a Hall of Fame quarterback back in New Orleans? Maybe we can start ruling the roost again. Right. But what I will say is that it's open for the taking. Whichever team finds a quality quarterback first has a massive head start in the next NFC South dynasty. Right. Like, think about this. Think about this for a second. Sam Bradford's like, who, me? Sam Bradford? Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold. Sorry, sorry. I don't know. Sam Bradford might be the best option in the NFC South, right? Sam Darnold is the longest tenured quarterback in the NFC South right now, right? Like, the only quarterback on the Bucs roster with Tom Brady retiring is Kyle Trask. The only quarterback on the Saints roster right now is Jameis Winston, who they have benched and, like, they would never go back. Like, maybe they do go back to him because they don't have any other options, but like, that's awkward. You're going to have to, you're going to have to mend some fences first, right? We'll see Jake Lutton before we see Jameis Winston. Luton. Yes. He is the only other player that is actually rostered by the Saints is Jake Luton. See, I don't, I don't want to go all fancy with the last name and it is fancy. It just looks like Lutton to me. It is fancy. He's tall. He's handsome. Fourth round pick. Got great hair. <laughs> I'm sure that'll, that'll go great in the stat sheet. Right. And then Desmond Ritter, right? Like a guy who threw for 78 yards or whatever it was against the Saints um, in, we, in, his, in his rookie debut. Like, like these are the quarterbacks in the NFC South. So all that is to say, like, while the, yes, the dynasty, the five straight NFC South championships, yeah, of course that's over. But there's no reason that the Saints can't get a quarterback and be the dominant team in the NFC South again because there is no dominant team. It just, it's just like there for the taking. Yeah, the, the Bucks dynasty just went kaput with Brady retiring for sure. Exactly. It was, it was, it was uh, you know, short-lived. So, Luis, she's been making fun of us ever since you left. She says, 
I get it. Jeff is like the Frodo Baggins as Steve is Samwise Gamgee, except they have beards. That's Louise Lockett. Well, first off, Steve is clean shaven. Second off, you are correct. I do have hairy feet. <laughs> and wait, hold on. I think I told you last week that I have a Frodo Baggins Funko Pop. Oh, I was going to get insulted. We were being called hobbits. Halflings. We can go with halflings. I can walk, walk very quietly, which is a lie. I, I think my neighbors would tell you that I do not walk quietly at all. But I do have hairy feet. And I do like shiny, shiny objects. I'm I'm six two, so I'm not I'm not part part of the halflings. Uh, I was just bragging. <laughs> Silver chime, one more. Osiris Torrance, uh, offensive lineman from Florida, arguably the best interior blocker in the draft. Yes, Louis, you, he went to he was at UL. He followed Billy Napier down to Florida. Um, he did look really good. Like he he was very much a first round pick out there. Like you, he was not getting moved by anybody. There is one other player that I will mention as like this is a guy who I could see the Saints targeting. Is um I I need to look up his name because I will say it wrong. His name is Ola Sagoon Oluwatimi. He is a center for Michigan who I think profiles very well to kick out to guard. And I think if you're the Saints. And you like the development that happened that happens at Michigan from their offensive line. It's still Jim Harbaugh. It's still the same staff. And now you can be like, hey, we have three centers. <laughs> he looked good. He did look good. And and so like like and I and I say this jokingly, but I also say like this, the logic you use to draft Caesar Ruiz would be the same logic you use to draft this guy in like the third or fourth round. Is like you want guys who can cross cross train there. And like, if you need a guy to move into center and like, I think he's a guy who you could have be a backup guard center and do both of those things and have a profile. Like he's going to be like a fourth or fifth round pick, but I could see them. I could see them drafting him. And I need to just learn how to say his name. Ola Sagoon, Ola Watimi. No, no. The, the O-line is definitely an area that needs addressing really all around. I, I don't have a problem with the, you know, looking for any any kind of more help for just depth wise. Yeah, no, I think the interior offensive line, and the interior defensive line, are both positions that I think uh, would be worth looking at. But yeah, Osiris Torrance looked very good. You know, he's a guy who maybe the Saints do go after at at twenty nine if they're really looking to shore up the interior line because he's a guard. He's definitely a guard. Oh, and you know, Saints fans would that's a t- that would be a Saints pick right there, and then fans would be that would drive people nuts. Fans would be so pissed off because yeah, drafting O lineman round one, they would lose their minds. But it would be a good pick, and I would I would say good pick, and everyone would be like, oh, that's definitely the angry crowd noise right there. That's exactly what they sound like. Okay, one more, and then we'll go fly J fly fly J fly J fly high. I think it's fly high. F L Y Y J A I I fly high. What about wide receiver? If Kayshawn is sitting there at twenty nine, I'm not sold on Kayshawn Booty. Personally, I've watched a lot of Kayshawn Booty and he has not like he's going to get drafted in the first round based solely on the game against Ole Miss three years ago. <laughs> like, like he has not reached that point again and he has been very good, but he has not been a first round pick in my opinion. Um, there are a lot of intriguing wide receivers in this draft, but I'm not going after Kayshawn. Like the reason Kayshawn is in this draft, in my opinion, unless you believe the rumors is that this is a very weak wide receiver draft. Now, I think Jordan Addison is good. What's his name? The kid from Michigan State. Hold on. Now, do you think you still think Kayshawn is a first-round pick this year, though? Someone might do it, um, but I don't like him. Uh, Jaden Reed from Michigan State is the guy who – I don't know where he's going to go in the draft, but 
if you're if you're out at the senior bowl and you're watching these guys run around, he's unguardable. Like he he was just running alone the entire the entire week. Uh, so that's the guy I would look at. But um, I don't think you're going to see the Saints go wide receiver in the first round two years in a row, especially because you feel pretty confident in the two young receivers you have and you want to develop them, not add more traffic to that room. Now you might go out and sign somebody. Um, I think you do need to bring in a veteran that isn't Traquan Smith, but I don't, I don't think you're using the first round pick on a, on a receiver. I'd be surprised if you draft a receiver at all. He's such a good blocker. He is so good. So good. He blocks, he blocks like a pro. Um, here's one more from Leslie. Trade both fifth round picks to move up and get an offensive guard to replace Andrews. Please, 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 please. Leslie has very specific requests, and I appreciate that. She's not messing around. No, I think, and, and I think this was another frustrating year, obviously, for you know dealing with Andrews. Pete, just we know what kind of player he is, and it just you you know every every season is going to be a struggle with him dealing with some kind of ailment. Yeah, no, I, I think you, you need to do something at the interior line. I, that's why, like, I, I'd be perfectly fine with Osiris Torrance at 29 if you, if you got there, right? Like, I think, you, I think that is a very important position to shore up, even, if, even with Andres Pete still on the roster, because, like, you're at a point where you just need quality depth. And, like, I love Calvin Throckmorton, but I'm tired of seeing him on the field, right? Like, <laughs> he's not the guy. <laughs> we know that. He's solid, a practice squad guy, but he's not the guy you want to start every time Andres Peak gets hurt, which is like once every three games. Um, so No, yeah, and, and one of the pillars of these teams we've seen when they were so successful, obviously that the, the, the strength of the O-line, the depth of the O-line, and yeah, that's we'll be talking, I'm sure, a lot about building that back up in this offseason. I agree, but all right, I think that's it for me. You got anything else, Steve, before we head out? No, just counting down to college baseball season. I don't know if you're a fan. I don't, I can't, no, no, you're not getting me on that one. Uh, but you should tune into Sports Talk tomorrow from 4 to 7 p.m. Steve and I are hosting. I say tomorrow, this is a podcast. So Friday, 4 to 7 p.m., WWL AM 870 FM 105.3, and always free on the Odyssey app, just like this podcast that you should already have subscribed to. If you haven't done that already, leave us a five-star rating because you love us and we have hairy feet. Yeah, this has been fun. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks, everyone, for throwing in comments and suggestions and hobbit comparisons it's all been fun i enjoy it cast the ring into the fire frodo yes we're gonna cast the ring of this podcast into the fire of the internet thanks everybody all right peace